Welcome to the Livecast Construction Experience Podcast. I'm Kieran Brennan, co-founder of Livecast.com. Finally, the construction sector has entered its digital transformation, meaning the way we operate our projects and businesses day to day is being disrupted. This podcast is designed to help you in all areas of your business. We do this by bringing in experts across all key areas of a construction business who share their stories, their challenges, wins and losses so others can learn from their experiences. To watch previous episodes, please visit livecast.com or search livecast.com across all popular social platforms. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Live Cost Construction Experience. We've been pumping these out now, actually, the month of April, we've had uh, two a week there, these going out because we wanted to try and help out as much as we can, business owners, construction business owners, operators, and see if we get out as much help, as much content as we could. That is going to come slightly uh, reduced through the next month because, to be honest with you, we've got a business behind us to run and that's going off at the moment. So we'll st- still continue to get out as much as we can. I'm hoping to keep it to one a week. Um, but I've had a bit of time to look back on wh- wh- what sort of episodes have gone well. For those who've been actually listening th- from the start of this, I put this out as a, as a business podcast myself on my own podcast channel. And you would have had a lot of uh, female operators at the start of this. Uh, we had like Wendy Slattery from the Beauty Buddy and Denise Inspired, who was a uh, very successful marketer. And since we looked at the construction side of things and that started to pick up, we haven't had a good female construction operator on since that. So it was, it was damn time that we got someone on. So we're delighted to have today a uh, TV personality, <laughs> if it's oh, fair to yeah. say, and uh, world-class QS and operator good, strong, solid operator and commercial director of Briffin Homes. Lisa O'Brien, how are you? I'm good, and th- thank you for having me. Um, definitely a pleasure to be on, and, you know, we're in really shaky waters and uncertain times, so it's good to have these podcasts so that everyone can really keep connected, you know, to see how everyone is experiencing this and really what's going on. So thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem at all. I mean... God bless technology is all I can say in these times. I mean, we're like, for those who are listening, can't see, but those who, who are watching on the website, like this is coming exclusive from the kitchen table. You know what I mean? So we're, I'm thankful we can do this. I, I'm laughing I'm saying, I'm back where I started at the kitchen table. <laughs> I've now come full circle, you know? Yeah, uh, it's crazy. So. It is a crazy time, but I mean, thankfully we, we, we have, we're obviously doing a little bit of business in the UK, a little bit of business in Australia, a little bit of business in the States. And we're, we're blessed in a way that what I do, which is very different, of course, to what you're doing, which we want to talk about, is I can still continue to communicate with these people no matter where they are, which is, I'm really thankful for. Uh, I can't start anything without asking, how, how are you doing personally? What's, how, is this, how are you getting through this, I suppose? Look, I suppose, um, let's bypass the whole construction issue. There's people out there that are dying, yeah. and there's families that are not being able to properly bury their loved ones. Do you know what I mean? So you have to, in perspective, I'm doing really well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. My family is well, um, all my friends are well. So that's all I can ask for on a daily basis. Um, and keeping very grounded. Um, I'm trying to really stay away from media as such because you can get quite anxious and the anxiety sets in when you're listening to the numbers and 
you know, the the amount of people that are getting sick, etc. So yeah. I am just um, staying in the moment and trying to stay in the moment. And all I can do is control my little environment. So that that's how I'm dealing with it on a personal basis, yeah. to be honest with you. I'm, I'm pretty similar to myself. The first week, I couldn't do anything but keep checking the news of what's going on. And I probably after week one, I just knocked that in the head and I said, you know what, I'll check in on numbers. That's an important stat. Outside of yeah. that, I, I just can't. I can only control what I can control, and yeah, I think I think that's the way to, way to go about it. I mean, as well, like behind every number, it's a person. Yeah. So it it could get a little bit impersonal when you're looking at stats and numbers, and you know, Tony Hoolan is out there giving statistics and percentages, but behind those there are there people's lives, you know. Yeah. So that's why in relation to we all have a responsibility to stay in and stay safe for other people for the frontliners for the medical staff and for the people in society that are actually more vulnerable than us so that's why i know i think at the minute people are getting a bit excuse me language pissed off staying at home you know uh where we bank holiday upon bank holiday rolling rolling up and you can get a bit ticked off but at the end of the day you're doing your bit by staying at home, you know. No, so, absolutely. We, my brother-in-law and his wife are both front line. He, he's in the ICU, so we're getting to hear what's going on yeah. there. And when I hear people talk about problems, and you know, I hear people talking about getting uh, annoyed. I wish they could just do a half an hour call with them and, and understand how yeah. frustrated their their kids are on complete lock. Their kids can't leave that house because they don't want to be, you know, a, a danger to to others and what they're going through. They can't even go and do a weekly shop. And some people are complaining about the queue in the weekly shop. So perspective is huge on this. I mean, we, we could talk about that for half an hour, Lisa, but I suppose you've, yeah. you've, you've got a, a lot more to offer in terms of your construction brain. Um, I mean, you've been kicking around this industry since you were 19, I think. Uh, yeah. w- why construction? Why, why quantity surveying? Where, where, where did that start? Okay, so um, I did a talk recently for the Citizens Assembly in relation to women in in the minorities and women in male-dominated industries. And that really brought me back. Um, You know, at 18, I I didn't know what a quantity severe was at 18. You know what I mean? That that, that wasn't my agenda. Um, Back then, I knew... I was one of those kids that ran the roads. I played soccer. I rode ponies. Um, I wasn't destined for a desk job, put it that way. I yeah. wanted to be out and about. I wanted freedom. I wanted um, just to be out. So when I sat down to fill out my CAO form, I went through a process of elimination. So I marked out all the courses that wouldn't get me out and about. So I was left with construction, engineering, landscaping, it, those types of courses where I knew that uh, in my head, my my vision back then was I was in a Jeep and the dog was in the back, right? That's how <laughs> I started off. Um, I succeeded in getting a place in DIT, Bolton Street, um, in a construction technology diploma course, which gave me a really broad view of construction. So it wasn't just quantity surveying, we did structures, surveying, estimation, tendering, uh, construction law. So I developed a huge passion. I was so grateful that actually I got into that course and I enjoyed it. Now, I was the only female. I was the only female student 
in my first year, there was 45 guys and myself, and I had just come from an all girls convent school, right? <laughs> so it was, it was a culture shock, but, um, I thrived. I actually thrived in college. I have to say they were the, the, it was the best time in my life. And I met the best friends, uh, there, which were all lads, but like, uh, they're still my core group of friends and colleagues. Um, and my my peers and my networking connections as well. So, um, has it been, has it been much much change since then, Lisa? Do you feel? Do you think it's 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 getting more female uh, domination now? Or I, think, like, I think as an industry, we could do more. I yeah. think we could promote it more. Um, definitely, I do think uh, having room to improve actually did an awful lot for the profession of quantity surveying and putting it out there because. When I told someone I was a quantity surveyor, they think that I was that person at the side of the road with a teodolite. You know, mm. when they heard surveying, they didn't understand um, that it was more about cost and contract. Um, I do think we could probably do more to to entice females in. It's, it was a great, great career choice for me. It's a tough industry, Kieran. You know yeah. that yourself. Definitely not for the faint-hearted. Um, but it's been very rewarding. So for, for me, it's given me huge freedom and I feel very blessed on a daily basis that I get up and I actually love what I do. Yeah, so it is. And it, yeah. it, it is a very tough industry and tougher than, than a lot of people outside can can imagine. There's a lot of moving parts, but you decided to make it a little bit tougher in yourself then again and open up your own business to, 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 to okay. add to it. I'll tell you how that happened. Naivety, ignorance, arrogance at 26. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah, that was the option. I mean, my thing there is that there's, there's no bad time to start a good business, right? So it, a lot of people now, and I'm, I'm involved in a lot of businesses in general, startup scene here with Enterprise Ireland around, and there's a lot of talk about, you know, what, what innovation is going to spin out of this, a, a lot of that talk going on. And my thing is that there is, isn't a bad time to start a good business, but you're going in, into a recession and one of the worst recessions, I suppose, we've ever seen in construction. I mean... Was there a thought at the time to say, or even a year in, you said that this was a bad move, or how, how did you get it um, off the ground, I suppose, is where I'm getting. All right, I'll tell you exactly right. So basically, um, I when we came out of college, we were all headhunted. There was no um, getting your CV together. Literally, the, the big lads came in and plucked us out of classes. So we all had interviews literally straight away and we all had job offers i'd say within i'd say the whole class within two to three weeks after um your exams everyone was placed some lads went to america and, and went traveling and did their year out but the majority of us that uh, kept in contact we were all placed within a couple of weeks um i then went on to do a year in healy kelly who are now healy turner townsend and um, I knew that was a PQS firm, and I knew now this is not for me. I wanted to be out in sight. I wanted the wellies on and to be mucking around, basically. So I did a year there, which was brilliant experience from a professional stance and pulling together bills of quantities and learning how to write letters and little simple things like that that you need as a skill. And then I went and got a job as a site clerk, and I literally was thrown in the deep end with um, a property development company called Heritage Properties. And I was doing, I was 
I'm afraid to even put this on camera and out there, but back then in the day, there wasn't as big a spin on health and safety as there is now. Times have really changed. But I was driving dumpers around the site. <laughs> Ordering blocks, um, you know, getting in touch with materials, getting real. I look back at it now and it was the best moves that I ever made because yeah. I got very aware with construction techniques, technologies, estimating sorting out the lads um and i was on big jobs and uh, and big jobs in in dublin city center um i proceeded on then to move on from i was promoted up to junior site four person and then crampton's came knocking which we were a big outfit at the time um and i went into crampton's as a quantity surveyor went back at night and finished my so i did the three years diploma course full time and then i went back at night to finish my degree so Crampton's site was uh, was on two sites coming up tandemly together, combined value probably circa around 90 million, and I was the only surveyor. And we'd, pr- I'd say 400 men on site. Again, amazing experience. And I thought to myself, I went off traveling then for a year, I came back, when I came back, I started with Healy, Ke- or no, it was uh, Walsh McGuire O'Shea, Walsh McGuire's time as a project manager stroke quantity surveyor in developments and um, so we were buying sites and developing them and basically I thought to myself all the subcontractors uh, where did they didn't have quantity surveyors so they were leaving money on the table let's just put it that way right so in my little brain I was saying to myself I could make him money I could make him money I could take many him money and I, I could get a percentage of that and that's where it started I went back and did a postgrad in conservation restoration in Trinity, and uh, hopefully no one from the revenue is watching. I started Nixerin because I was doing that course, and that spire. I, I contacted all those subcontractors and said, "Lads, I can make his money." So I left. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, but, but what that did was gave me an automatic customer base. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I literally had 15 to 20 subcontractors on my books very quickly. Um, obviously, I was in the box room at home, set up properly, got myself registered, got myself professional indemnity insurance, and it literally took off. So I wasn't we weren't in recession at that time. It was early 2006. It was probably 07. Um, when really the recession hit but at that time i had my fingers in a lot of pies right yeah. because i had the subcontractor base i'd spread out to main contracting and then i was also uh, developing a pqs practice as well so i had a lot of fingers in a lot of pies and all i can say is that that's how i actually treaded through the last recession was because I had a very wide customer base over a lot of areas. And so there was always some, and there was a dispute going on. So I was in that, there was an es- estimation going on. So I was in that and I was literally the S person. I never said no. Yeah. So that, that, that's how, how it was. And but was it, but... You, you touched on the, the room to approve thing there. I mean, did, did that come from that? I mean, what, 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 what year did that kick off? Room to improve was 2000. We were coming out of we were coming out of recession. It was probably 2016, was it? Yeah, when I got when I did room to improve, and at that point we were 
definitely on, on the up and I had like I didn't a lot of people's impressions I didn't jump at the chance to room to improve I actually um they came knocking they rang me I interviewed but at the time I had an awful lot of work um in IBM at the time and I had commitments there so it wasn't something that I actually jumped at the chance to be on TV like that was yeah. never um that was not my agenda to be this personality or celebrity and I mean I could have stayed on the show and went down that route but that that's not what I wanted you know how did you find um, it what was, what was the experience like oh, when I was in it again excuse my language I shit myself mm. come on you're I was catapulted onto uh national tv overnight um you I was being recognized when I was in my local centra uh so that that end of things was slightly uncomfortable for me because I am quite a private person. Um, I look back on in reflection on it now and I, I totally enjoyed the, the filming process. Um, but also behind the scenes, like the one hour that you see on a Sunday night, uh, there's six to eight to ten months behind that. So mm. it's huge. Um, and basically it took over... A huge amount of my time that pulled me out of the practice. So my practice was suffering um, in a sense because I was being, because you're on national TV, I was more scrutinizing the finances because the budgets were so tight. They were unbelievably tight. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and it makes good TV that they're that tight and the drama that involves in that, you know? Yeah. Um, no. But I don't regret it. I, I have to say it was a great experience. Well, but there's a there's an element of you I had to I had to get back to the real to, you know reality. reality yeah. I mean what what is your I mean budget talk about budgets being tight, we're about to enter a period now where everyone's budget's about to take a squeeze. What's your biggest takeaway from dealing with projects like that when, when you get into that sort of really tight cost environment? Uh, okay, so I went, uh, listen, like, you know me now, we've been dealing with each other over the last uh, couple of months. I um, don't suffer fools gladly. I say it as it is because budget is Bible, right? Mm -hmm. You can't afford it, you can't afford it. Um, I would say anyone going into a project, it's a great time now at the minute because there is, you know, people on downtime is to get your ducks in a row um you're if there is a budget you're designing to a budget the amount of times that i have uh, clients come into the office with planning permission drawings so that they've proceeded to go down six months seven months of a planning um process they give me the drawings there's no way they they've never done a budget analysis on the actual design and they can't afford it they cannot like i literally fold the page and half and go you can actually afford this this, this end of your house and it, it is soul destroying so your architect is advisable to get a quantity if you can't afford a quantity surveyor throughout the life cycle of that job your best investment is to get them at the very concept uh start yeah. of the job very very uh because we can do cost plans like in and what Dermot used to give me initially to do a cost plan up was just literally a hand sketch, very simple. I went out, I, I uh, did a, my own analysis on the house and the existing structure, and I was able to give him cost plans very turned around very quickly that was in between 5 and 6% of what the contract sums were coming in at. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So 
get 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 your ducks in a row and get costs early on the table, not when it's down the line yeah. or not have a contractor appointed on board and then it rolls into a dispute, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, before we press go on this, I was, I was just thinking to myself, so when, when did we actually meet the last time? Because I remember we were sitting and we were chatting and we were talking about making a plan and then we had a phase one plan and then we were talking about September and that would be a phase two plan where we start to get accounts involved. And we all these plans were on the table. And uh, I just checked the date back to see, I wonder, was it start of March? Was it middle of March? It was Friday the thirteenth, Lisa. Was it was, was the day we met? <laughs> All right, Friday the thirteenth of March when we met. So that's going to tell you what's happened here. Uh, something's something's gone major wrong since that. I mean, all joking aside, what's the impact of this? Do you feel now on your projects? Okay, so basically, how just before we we had preempted uh, the lockdown around 2 weeks before because you have to you have to understand the the covid-19 or coronavirus has no border so we were looking at china and we were looking at italy because that was our evidence right and we could see the steps the government were taking behind the scenes in relation to get legislation into the doyle and stuff like that and um, to get that passed so we kind of took the view is we're pre- preparing for the worst we'll expect the best but we're preparing for the worst so we went into most of our building sites and we changed tact in the sense where um we shifted from completing the internals to concentrating on external works right so getting block work completed external render completed dropping scaffold and securing the site uh, we stopped ordering materials so that we wouldn't have materials sitting on site if there was a lockdown. Because um, that's been, real... so, so, sorry to jump in on that one, Lisa, because that's been some of the criticism I, I'm hearing is that uh, like we can't just shut a site down. And on the back end of that, you can't just open a site back up. Like there needs to be no. a, a ramp down and a ramp up period. I mean, yeah. And, and I think that really, like, I mean, I think it was Friday, was it the 27th of March, when literally it was like, right, you're closing down from 12 o'clock tonight. Now, luckily, we had taken the steps that the majority of our sites were secure and we had weathered in. So we were able to, you know, we, we got windows in, we were able to lock up. Um, but we still had heavy plant on site. We still, you know, we mixers and bits and pieces like that, that you know, we had to get off. They had yeah. to be secured. We had to go in and check scaffold and tie scaffold down and get ladders off. So we had to organize crews over that Saturday and Sunday to come in and secure the site. Um, going forward now, it, it like you say, we have a lot of subcontractors that would have foreign workers that have gone home. How are they going to get back into the country? When they do get back into the country, we're assuming that there's going to be uh, two weeks of an isolation period. So you're not, you're not driving, you can't open a floodgate and expect full capacity now. Yeah. We're also looking at the, the we'll get into the CIF standard operation procedures. We've gone through them in depth. Um, very practical document, common yeah. sense approach, right, which is great to see. Everyone needs to get on board with this. However, it's very difficult to social distance on a building site because the majority of tasks are two-man tasks. They just are, yeah. right? Our building sites are small. We probably less than 50 men on site. The the units that we're building, we're building houses between six and 16 units. We had already started where uh, there was one trade per house. 
electricians could win, that's all. Plumbers could go in. That's going to massively affect our program because instead of having subbies in tandem, they're now at the end of each other's phase work. So that's pushing our, our, our deadlines out. So what happens there, Lisa? Let, just on, on that point there, the huge discussion point now is going to be, right, so you and your subcontractors, you, they, you just, we have to avoid with this social distancing. It's the only way yeah. we can do it. But his his contract is massively affected by that and yours is too i mean how do you feel that we could resolve that issue first of all is that's going to be I, massive i think what's going to happen is right we're all in this this is my personal opinion yeah. it's not a professional opinion because we can that's another podcast in itself yeah um because we are bound by standard forms of contract um but my personal opinion and i'm always very much a solution-orientated person. We're all in the same boat. Boat. We all are going to have to feel a bit of pain. That's main contractor, subcontractor, and client. Um, I think that a fair and reasonable approach has to be brought to the table by everyone, to be honest with you. Um, so that means we will not be uh, able to hand over on our designated date and our completion date. It's not doable with these uh, restrictions that have been brought in place so therefore you know there's an argument to say that we are open to LADs or liquidated and ascertained damages however we would hope that uh, Mr. Developer or client can come to the table and have a fair and reasonable approach and we can all move forward Um, litigation and legislation or litigation right now I don't think is the way forward no, definitely not. I mean, and, and, and that conversation, I suppose, between yourself and client, I mean, I suppose we're hoping that that feeds right the way down as well in, in, yeah. into the subbies because it's usually the subbie is the man that, that has the least access to cash flow and he's the one that will yeah. get crippled and, and one that will go first and we don't want to see that. Uh, I know from the little business that we do in the UK that there's major pressure being put in the subcontract already. Uh, from a contract point of view, I really hope that the approach you're saying and, and yeah, Mr. Mink, I think Mr. Mink, you're nothing without your sub. A good main contractor is nothing without a good, reliable uh, supply chain. Yeah. And so you have to look after your subcontractors, and that that has always been my ethos and my agenda within Brighton Homes as well. Um, we're not a main contractor without them. Do you know yeah, what I mean? That, that, absolutely. That's, like, we're trying to look after him but on the flip of that Mr. Subcontractor has to also come to the table um, you know and be able to we're not able to give him now we'd be proceeding on a phase by phase basis we're not able to give him 16 units where he can just tear into it you know, so that, that, that's not going to happen. So, so you're saying there uh, Lisa that you've, you've read through the standard operating procedures document and uh, we have as well and we, you know, my opinion is pretty much the same as yours, very, very well written, practical, and they're doing what they can. Uh, how are you now going about implementing that and making plans for getting back to site? it looks like we are going to get back in some way over the next few weeks. I mean, what are you doing to sort of take the information yeah. to that document okay. and, and bring that into practicality? All right, so really the, 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 what we have done at the minute is we have a health and safety advisor. She's absolutely brilliant. Uh, shout out to Mary Mooney, brilliant. So Mary has uh, revised their construction stage health and safety document We to bring in a coronavirus policy within that. That's been sent out to all our subcontractors. 
Um, we all we eleven staff. So all of us have done the COVID nineteen compliance officer training. Yeah. So we've that complete. We've all done our digital uh, induction cards on the CIF website. We've that complete. Um, we had, as I said, we had preempted this. So an awful lot of uh, the practical procedures had already been set up on site. Okay, so we had uh, our entrances had our sanitation uh, stations at it. We had hot water and soap at, at most of the entrances. We would staggered break times. We'd taken chairs and tables out of the canteens. We had already established that. So that that's just going to go back into that. Uh, we'd already done uh, toolbox talks with all our subcontractors. So we will, we will do all that again. So subcontractors now have been given a notification that we need their RAMs, so their risk assessments and method statements back to us um, with COVID-19 policy in place in that. So they're all in the background working on that. I've already got a, a lot of them back in. Um, so as soon as the sites are open, again, it will be more toolbox talks. Um, Hygiene is a big one, and just really keeping an eye on it. You know yeah. what I mean? There's, there's, there's not much else. But what I do say is that we can't toolbox talk common sense into people that come onto the site. Everyone has their own role to do, and I've seen it myself. Um, yeah. Yeah. So subcontractors have to filter down to that personnel. We're going to have a zero tolerance care onto this. Yeah. So if guys aren't rocking up to the plate, they're out of here. They're off. We just can't have it. It's a deadly virus, and we don't want people bringing it home, and we don't want it in on the site. It could wipe the whole site out. Yeah, you know I mean? absolutely. The, the last thing we need is word of clusters starting to appear on, on sites, and we have the, the a second surge, and that's the last thing we need. Yeah. I mean, how how do you feel then that the communications being between say government, say down to CAF, who are definitely doing a bit? Uh, how do you feel the communications being between when we might get it back and preparing to to, to get back to work? Um, like I mean, I think the CIF have been doing everything in their power to um, show the government that the industry can get back to work in a safe manner. And that's why they have gone down and proceeded to issue these SOPs. I do feel, like you said, that it's not going to be a floodgate and we all run into sites. So every site is different. There's massive sites in town that have, you know, up to 200 workers on them or whatever. So these guys are going to need the opportunity to probably go in before the lockdown to set up their sites. Um, some, it's going to be, is going to be quite difficult. You're looking at them recommending that, you know, in in guys driving to work on their own or maximum two people in a, in a car. So you're going to have a lot more traffic. Yeah. That won't suit us. We're, we're, our sites are infill sites in highly densely residential areas. So if we're in fluxing now with another 20 or 30 cars, it doesn't suit. So we're going to have to go in and manage our sites where the lads can park. In, in, in some cases, parking on site, we've... Um, Another site where we've secured parking up the road, um, and they, you know, they'll have to walk down to the site, but they, we can get the cars in. So there is there there has to be some sort of timeline that we can gear up and put these procedures in place so that we could all get back to work safely. Yeah. Like what I will say is, coronavirus isn't going anywhere in the short term. Mm -hmm. uh, we we have to we have to work alongside it. Yeah. And, get the economy up and running again. Like, I mean, 
we've what approximately 150,000 people that work in construction so it is essential that yeah. we get back some sort of work to keep their economy going you know absolutely i mean it's going to be a challenge there's an absolutely no doubt there's a huge challenge ahead of us you've navigated through a, a, a bit of a downturn before and a bit of a sticky time I mean, what advice could you give to other companies that are listening to this that are sort of planning for an uncertain time? I feel this time round, it's so funny that I'm laughing, but I'm kind of saying to myself, here I am in this situation again. Do you know what I mean? That like in, I, I wrote, wrote going through two recessions in less than 10 years, so to speak. Um, on a personal basis, I mean... You know, what we're doing, I don't know if I have any advice because everyone's businesses are at different stages and they're also employing different levels of staff. What Bryphon are doing, I mean, we, we are, we're a small company, we employ 11 staff. We're also going into a health crisis. So we have to cross train now because at some point, one of us may get sick. So, I mean, yeah. we're in a position where I'm able to step into the accounts role or payroll, or I am very closely um, tying in with the contacts that I have in recruitment agencies to say to see what temporary staff are available should we need it, right? So, I'm kind of, that's one of the things we're doing. We're looking at the... It's great. It has been a great opportunity in the last six weeks to actually sit and look at our finances and see uh, where we're hemorrhaging money because we're we're we were in a very fast momentum um, prior to the lockdown. So it's given us the opportunity to tighten our expenditure up, seeing what outstanding um, monies that are out there to get it into the company and just sit and see what's going on. Yeah. Uh, in a, like yourself, I have to say, working remotely has worked quite well for us. Um, the, we have an office. I would be, personally, I'm a single parent and I might have my child at home uh, until September, God only knows. So I have to work around that. Yeah. So working remotely has worked well. We've all actually been very productive. Um, Zoom calls, those type of platforms have worked really yeah. well for us. We can actually share information uh, in, in the meeting. So that has been fine. So I think that's something that we will be pre keeping this going. Yeah. Um, like I said, we I, there's all speculation going out there. I'm not convinced that we're in the same environment as we were 10 years ago because we had a very unstable banking structure back then. Yeah. Um, we also have, I have to say, credit to... Uh, the banks and all of that in relation to they were very quick to response we we had set up overdraft facilities just in case we needed them and there is definitely a proactive and positive response from uh, our banks and all of that so definitely every everything that we could have availed of we have availed of um, and uh, credit to our government as well because they got the COVID-19 uh, yeah payment scheme very quickly up and running where we were getting refunds back within a couple of days as well which has allowed us to keep our staff and full pay right now yeah. so yeah. that's what i'm saying so it i think like we said from the very start uh, we can't control this you take stock to where you are you do your swot analysis in relation to your strengths weaknesses opportunities and threats and what i do notice as well in every crisis there's opportunity 
Absolutely. So it's about thinking outside the box and uh, looking at other services or other, other avenues that you can you can go down as well to generate income, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. It sounds like you're on this, Lisa. It sounds like you've, 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 got, a, you've got a hold of it and certainly have, have a plan for it. Uh, I've no doubt that you will be fine and navigate your way through it. Uh, thanks for your time. Really, really appreciate no it. Thank you, thank we, you very much. And hopefully uh, you're staying safe and that we can get back to some sort of normality quite soon, you know? Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely arrange a catch-up and it definitely won't be on a Friday the tour at the end anyway. We'll try, try, yeah. avoid, try and avoid that. Lisa, thanks for your time. No problem. Thanks, Kira. Cheers.